Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Guys, I am pumped for this episode. I am so freaking pumped and honestly just honored to have today's guest, Krista Williams, on the show. So Krista Williams, if you aren't familiar, she's the co-host and co-founder of Almost 30, which is a chart-topping lifestyle podcast. It's like 30 million downloads. And it covers everything from modern spirituality to health and wellness and entrepreneurship and sex and self-development. Like this podcast is just gold and I've learned so much from tuning in. In fact, Krista has been such a support to me just both personally and when it comes to this podcast because I actually was able to work with her and her co-host, Lindsay Simsek, in their podcast accelerator program, and their mentorship was just so invaluable. And then obviously, she's an unofficial mentor because I just tune into their episodes and I have learned so much. Now, in this episode, Krista and I talk about life and boundaries and childhood wounding and being the expert on your own life. We talk a little bit about entrepreneurship and therapy and marriage and you know, all the things that I just love to chat about. <laughs> Specifically, we talk about how she supported me in the growth of this podcast. Then we switch gears and we talk about the mother wound. I actually learned about the mother wound and Bethany Webster, who was on a recent episode from Krista and Lindsay's episode with her on their podcast. And it was just so nice to be able to talk to someone who's equally passionate about the mother wound So we dive into our own experiences with the mother wound, how it manifests for different women, our relationships with our mothers, grieving the relationship you wish you'd have, and the shame that comes with not having the type of relationship with your mom that you see other people having. We also talk about Krista's wedding. She recently got married and we dive into how Krista was like, no, this isn't happening to all of the traditions that people have when it comes to weddings. And she was just able to say, you know what, this doesn't work for me. We're going to create our own day and make it special and aligned with us. So we dive into that. We talk about couples therapy, why she and her husband started therapy right after they said, I do. And she also shares about her life edit, what she does to edit her life and feel more aligned and make space both mentally and physically. The life edit, guys, it is so good. It is so timely right now too, especially as we are wrapping up 2021 and going into 2022. It's just, you know, I always talk about how it's important to audit your life. And if you've been feeling that urge, this episode is going to get you on the right track. So I am actually going to do the life edit as we wrap up this year, and I invite you to do it with me. This episode is pure gold. I'm so grateful that I get to share it with you. 
I cannot wait to hear what you think about this episode. And if it resonates or you know someone who would benefit from this conversation, send it their way. Or you could share it out on social, tagging at it's Krista and at Jamie Scrimger. Honestly, connecting after the episode is the best part. So let's dive into the episode. I just can't wait to hear what you think. Let's do this. All right. If you follow along on Instagram, you know, I love a good hoodie. I love a good plain shirt. I love a good plain sweater. I love a good neutral. I'm really about keeping it simple when it comes to my wardrobe. And I love to dress Reese the same. That's why I'm so pumped to partner with Austin Oaks. Guys, when I first had Reese, I struggled to find cute clothes for her because I felt like all of the girl clothes had unicorns and butterflies and sunshine and all those things on them, which is totally fine if that's your style. But again, I like to keep it simple. So when I stumbled upon Austin Oaks, I was sold. It's a unisex clothing line for everyone in your family. Austin Oaks items are designed and manufactured here in Canada, made from high quality, ultra soft bamboo cotton that is eco-friendly, sustainably sourced, and so freaking soft. Seriously, plain, solid, high quality pieces for your whole crew. Personally, I am obsessed with their adult bamboo hoodie in ivory and the bamboo crew in gray. And I just ordered Reese the same. You should see the cute outfits that my sister Brett got my nephews. Guys, I can't tell you how obsessed I am with all of their pieces. Cool thing is Austin Oaks ships to both Canada and the US. I highly recommend checking them out. You can get all the information, go shop at www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash Austin Oaks, and then use the code Jamie10 for 10% off your order. You're welcome. I am so pumped about my newest partnership with Newcom. As I said, I have been actively trying to minimize stress and calm my mind and carve out time in my day for stillness and meditation, which as we know is easier said than done in this busy, stressful world that we're currently living in. So Newcom is patented neuroscience technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality. It gives you the power and control to slow down and recharge when you need to by guiding you to your natural recovery state. Within minutes, Newcom guides your brain waves to frequencies for deep recovery and restoration. Amen. So here's how it works. You apply the Newcom biosignal processing disc to your inner left wrist. Then you connect headphones to your mobile device and select your Newcom journey in the mobile app. Cover your eyes with the Newcom light blocking eye mask, get comfortable and zen out. It is so freaking good. Newcom is the world's first and only patented technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality without drugs. For more than 20 years, the company has been helping people like elite military operators, to cancer patients, to pilots, to professional athletes, to veterans, to regain control of their lives by helping them manage stress. It used to be a $6,000 class three medical device. Now it's easier to use and much more affordable through a subscription. So for as little as $167 per day, you can take control of stress or sleep and own the day. Newcom has become one of my favorite rituals and is my new favorite form of self-care. I cannot tell you how good this feels. So you can learn more and get all the details at www.newcom.com and use the code Jamie10OFF for 10% off. That's www.newcom.com and use the code Jamie10 for 10% off. 
All right, Krista, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to be here. I feel like this has been like such an honor and such a long time coming. You've been such an amazing person that I've got to see and like work with and just like witness. And so I'm really excited to be on the pod. Thank you. You know, I've been th- I was thinking about that this morning and I was like, it was two years ago that I was in my kitchen doing dishes. I don't even know how your podcast came up on my thing. I went on and I was like listening to you guys for like 15 minutes. Then an ad for your podcast accelerator program came up. And then I was like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. And then I went, looked it up, applied, signed up. And I can't even really tell you how much change has come into my life since that moment, which is so crazy because not only did you guys, I worked with you for coaching and helped me take the podcast to the next level, but then I started listening to you guys all the time and you have brought so many great thought leaders into my life that I didn't even know existed. So like Terry Cole, you know, she's been on the podcast and she just did a membership interview for us. Like Bethany Webster with the mother wound. It's like so crazy how people come into your life like that. Right. And that's trickled into the community because everyone in the community and the people who listen to this podcast are like blown away by these guests too. So I have to say thank you for that. Yeah. It's like, um, I always think about it like master curators of things. And it's interesting because sometimes it's like, we'll see us do like mother wound and then it will see the ripple where it's like, we'll do it. Then our community will feel it, And then people's communities of communities that are leading it will feel it, and they'll, they'll sort of work on that. But we've had the pleasure of having the most amazing people on the podcast. And I would have never dreamed that I'd have access and just like the ability and opportunity to learn from some of like the greatest people. And it is interesting how you found us and the podcast pro accelerator. Cause things like that are just so divine. Like I'm not one to say that whenever it works out easy, it's always right because I think sometimes hard things can really teach us things, but it is really powerful when things are just like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and it all perfectly flowed and it all happened in the right time. And when you have things in your life that are like that, it's like taking note of that and always just remembering that like it could always be this easy and it could always flow in the way that feels really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it just is like crazy. And I can't believe it's been two years. I know. So I was thinking we could just start off by you could kind of share a little bit about your story for those who maybe aren't familiar. You know, you talk about your evolution and like where you were when you were starting this podcast to where it is now, which is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yes, started on our closet floors. I'm someone that's like always been a seeker. I grew up in a small town in Ohio. I always felt different. I always felt like I was kind of the odd one out. I was like writing letters to aliens when I was little. I was like doing my presentations on the Bermuda Triangle. Like I felt very different. And so my whole life, I always wanted to feel less alone in like this spiritual experience that I felt like I was having. And so I got off path during my high school years and my college years. I kind of did the thing everyone did. I went to college. I got a degree. I got a job in the corporate world. And so I was in the corporate world for about eight years. And I just was deeply unhappy. I felt just really unsettled. I felt really unexpressed. And I knew I wanted more for myself. So I pursued a lot of things on the side. I started a travel company in Morocco. I um, started blogging. I did like these side gigs. I did all these random things. And one of the random things just happened to be um, starting a podcast with my best friend, Lindsay Simsek. I was actually pursuing being a soul cycle instructor. 
on the side of my corporate job. And although I didn't get SoulCycle, I was introduced to Lindsay, who was an instructor. So I talked to Lindsay with hopes she could support me in my SoulCycle audition. And we just started to have these really deep, meaningful conversations about our late 20s and feeling like we were really alone in this like seeking evolution that we had and that there was more to life than just working. There was more to life in our relationships and our friendships, in the people that we were. And so in these deep conversations, we're like, I wonder if we could start a podcast. And so we started to record on our closet floors seven years ago. We recorded for six months, just like a bunch of crap content. But eventually we launched the podcast and, you know, we were working our full-time jobs for the first couple of years. But since then, it's grown into this beautiful community, this podcast, and we do courses and programs and all these things, but basically to support people in their evolution, because that was like what we craved so much throughout our life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about that time, just like when you are almost 30 and it's like, am I an adult? Like, am I actually a grown up? Because the way that I looked at my parents when they were this age is a lot different than the way that I feel. Right. And you get so stuck in what you're supposed to be doing. And I got a job in corporate and I literally like was sitting there every single day being like, is this really my life? Like, I am not supposed to be here. This is not where I'm supposed to be right now. And it's like listening to those whispers, right? To be like, no, this is not your life. And moving past all those expectations from everyone else in your life and being like, okay, no, there is more out there. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle and why there's a lot of people seeking all this support, like who follow you and, you know, who listen to the podcast because they're craving that next thing, but they don't quite know how to get to it. Yeah. And, you know, there's something that happens in your late 20s, around like 25 to 27, your prefrontal cortex actually comes online. So it's like a really important part of your brain development. And your prefrontal cortex is like your conscious thinking. Not that you're not conscious when you're little or when you're growing up, but there's like a really important development that happens where you're able to sort of look at yourself and be like, oh, I can see the programming or sort of you know, the bill that I was sold or the life that I was told to have. And now I can analyze and think about if it's what I really want, because I have that conscious awareness of like, who I am versus who everyone's told me to be. So for most of us, we've been told, go to get a good degree, go to a good college, you know, get married, have kids, have a house, do all that sort of thing. And I think we've all seen over time that that's not made us any happier, you know, especially in the West, we have everything we need. We are so lucky and grateful and we are some of the least happy cultures and societies that actually exist. So in your twenties, you're sort of able to see like, okay, is this what I want? And that's what I did. You know, I'm like, is this a life that I want at these corporate jobs where I just feel like, unexpressed. I feel like it's not the place for me. And I was able to just kind of look at that. I quit a first time. So I quit my job for a first time. I served, I nannied, I babysat, I did all these different things. I got myself in a lot of debt, got scared, started a job again. Um, and that was the job that supported me with almost 30. But I think that it's really important that for anyone that's listening and for anyone that consumes any of our content, that we always need to just be mindful of the like who everyone's told us to be and then who we actually are. And that's sort of the goal of life is to figure out who we are at our, our core, who our soul is. And we can figure out in small ways of when we feel good. And I think we really, really shortchange how indicative of our soul's journey it is when we feel good. And for me, I always felt good listening to podcasts. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm able to just like get information about all these things. And I loved that it wasn't a visual medium. I loved all these things. 
And then I also loved community. I loved women. I love asking questions. Like I'm always someone that's super curious. So like, these are the things that light me up and it happens to now be my career. So when we think about like how we can find things that make us feel better, we really do have to follow the path of like least resistance and the path of our gifts to really lead us to the place where we can eventually, you know, it doesn't have to be overnight, move to be doing what we love more often, if not all of the time. I love that. And you know, actually, I was listening to your podcast episode you did with Jenna Kutcher today. Um, and actually, I want to just pop in to a different topic for a second because you're talking about how you, you know, you can, you've been able to do what you love and make money doing it. Like this is your job, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people who are striving for that next step and who are striving yep. for more. And what I love about you guys is that you worked your full time job while you were building this up. And, you know, that's the same with me and my platform. Like I wasn't making any money at the very beginning. Like it was literally just this passion project, which then turned into a side hustle with then turned into a business. And I think it's important for people to know you need to put in the time and you need to do it for the right reasons for you to get to that point. Yes. Me and Lindsay talk about that a lot because we really believe that our full-time jobs that we had for the first couple of years of building the business were instrumental to our success, instrumental to our growth. And it wasn't easy. You know, I was taking interviews during work time. I would never do lunches with my team. I was never doing happy hours. I was really working on almost 30 if I wasn't on calls, basically. So I wasn't the best employee. It wasn't the best thing, but it really provided us this like beautiful opportunity to like not put the pressure on almost 30 to be making us money, to be our full-time jobs, to be this thing. Because I found that when we do put all the pressure on our thing, and this is like very big magic, which is an amazing book by Elizabeth Gilbert, it morphs into something that it shouldn't be because we have this energy around it of lack and fear and scarcity. So through the two years, we were able to have almost 30 build into what it was and then be very strategic. And that's the thing, too, is so many women in our space, we're so spiritual, we're so in touch, we're so in tune. But then you really do have to bring it back down to earth a lot of times and be really just like truthful and honest about your plan and your strategy. And that's what I had to do with almost 30. You know, we planned for six months before we quit. We made sure we had all of the business things set in place. We had everything legally right. We were employed as a business, all of these specific things. And that seems very like unsexy and like unspiritual, but it's actually like gave us a lot of freedom and flexibility to build what we wanted to build. And so many people that I work with through podcasting, and I'm sure you you see this as well, they want to make money right away on on what they're doing. And for me, that means that there's like a validation that's being sought outside of the validation of just doing the act of doing it. And you have to do things because you actually love them and because you're called to them, not just to make money. It's never going to work out the way you want it to if you go into things like this, just making money. And we even know that with full-time jobs, like a lot of people just work full-time jobs just for the money and it doesn't feel good. So when you have this thing that you actually care about and you love and you want to cultivate, you have to just let it be what it's supposed to be and not force it to make money so soon. And that's probably the hardest thing with what we do with coaching in the podcast pro accelerator or it kind of hurts sometimes. Cause I'm like, Oh, I just truly love this. Like I truly love the medium. I truly love serving people. I truly love being myself and being able to create that when people want to make money right away, you're like, Oh, you're not getting, you're missing the point, you know, but I get it in the end because money is important. So it's so tricky, but I think we're on the same page completely about it. Yeah. You got to put in the time for sure. Yeah. How many years was your building? 
Oh, I don't even, I feel like I was just blogging for a year before I was like, Oh, you can actually make money doing this. I had no idea. And then I slowly started getting these questions from people. Like I was spending all my time coaching and supporting stepmoms for free, just like, because it lit me up. And you know, my husband and I were finally like, okay, well, if you're going to be putting all this time into this, like we need to like restructure this that there's something here. And at that point, no one was talking about step parenting online. Like there's still very few people who talk about step parenting in the capacity that I do. But then it was like me and three or four others. Yes. That's so key too. And I'm glad you, you spoke about that for people that are listening. It's like, you're doing something before everyone else is doing it before it's cool. So you're kind of creating your own niche based on your specific unique circumstance and your specific unique story and your specific unique gifts. You know, I think with so many people, we overlook our gifts. And for me, that's listening. For me, that's asking questions. For me, that's being curious and saying things that people might otherwise be afraid to say. And those have always been my gifts. So like, how can I leverage and make those gifts something that I'm doing all the time? And for you, it's like the coaching element. It's like this unique circumstance and situation of your life of being a stepmom has created this beautiful opportunity where this natural thing evolves and grows. And I think a lot of times people are either looking at what everyone else is doing and then trying to apply that to their life, their circumstance and their gifts, and it doesn't work. Or they're like doing something because they want to like get out of the job or because they feel like it might fulfill a void or a need in their life rather than fulfilling a void or a need in someone else's life through service. Hi, beautiful. Here's your daily reminder that you are loved, you are important, and you are perfect just the way you are. The way those words just made you feel, that's what it feels like to slip into an honor books robe. Underbooks is a luxury robe and loungewear brand that is proud to be female-founded, Canadian-made, and responsibly produced in Kingston, Ontario. Their team focuses on creating unique, high-quality garments using ethical, sustainable, and absolutely gorgeous fabrics. When you buy your first, or second, or third Underbooks piece, you know you're supporting a local company that values our people and our planet. I have been wearing Underbooks robes for years now, and they are simply gorgeous. And I feel gorgeous in them. And you guys always notice. Anytime I'm wearing my robe on stories or in a photo, I get all the questions. I highly recommend treating yourself to your own Onderbrooks robe. And I have a code to help you do just that. Head to onderbrooks.ca and use the code JAMIE20 for 20% off. That's O-N-D-E-R-B-R-O-E-K-S dot C-A and use the code JAMIE20 for 20% off. Treat yourself. Now, one thing I've been, you know what, I've been dying to talk to you about this. After I heard the, all the mother wound um, episodes that you guys did, and you know, I've had Bethany on my podcast as well. I was like, I could get on a plane and go talk to Krista right now. And I know so many people had that reaction. So can you maybe just like dive into a little bit about how learning about the mother wound was so pivotal for you and your personal growth? Yes. So Deep breath. <laughs> yeah, deep breath. In my healing journey, I had done a lot of work around my body. I had done a lot of work around money. I had done a lot of work around love and relationships and business. And I felt like there was this piece that was always missing. There was still this thing that was like there for me that I hadn't really looked at. And when I found and started to really do the work of the mother wound, I realized that this was like what Bethany Webster calls it, the linchpin to all other healing. 
when we think about us being in the womb, we're basically inside of our mother, we're receiving all of her DNA, we're receiving all of her hormones, we're receiving all of her energy inside of her body. And then we are literally living only because of her. We are only living because of her food, because of her warmth, because of her shelter. So every single thing that our mother does, whether she picked us up one time or ignored us one time, another affects us. And it affects us in ways that like we can't even understand or comprehend. And it's actually crazy when you think about how deeply embedded the mother relationship is. And so when I discovered the mother wound work and the mother wound that I had, I was like blown away because it basically hit on everything. It hit on my body issues, my issues around body acceptance and body neutrality and the eating and body related things I've had in my life. It hit on my acceptance of self and never feeling like I'm enough. You know, it hit on that for me. It hit on my female relationships, feeling like I could be safe and seen in my friendships. That's been the most impacted work for me is like being able to be seen and loved by women because I've always felt like women were either in competition with me, I couldn't be vulnerable with them, or they wouldn't you know, think I was interesting or they wouldn't pay attention to me. I always had that neglected part of me. And so with this work, the way that I've like done the work with Bethany Webster or her book, first of all, the book is amazing. So Mm -hmm. it's um, Healing the Inner Mother is the book. And so going through that and just sort of like picking out the places where you feel like you identify with the feelings or things that happened, I think is really important because you'll read that book and I know you did too. And you'll You'll, your jaw will hit the floor at what she says. And you're like, I thought I was the only one that felt like I was the mother of my mom or I was being in competition with my mom or I was being constantly judged by my mom or I was her pseudo husband or whatever these feelings are. You can really identify them in the book. It's been so powerful for me and it's been hard at the same time. You know, my mom listened to the episode and that was incredibly hard for her to hear that. And we've had to have really deep, meaningful conversations that have eventually led us into a better place than before. But I can't recommend people looking at their mother wound enough, even if they feel like they don't have a mother wound. We all in a way have a mother wound, especially I believe we've been given birth by someone that's like unconscious. And I say that with love, but the environment that I grew up in, in the mother that I had was very unconscious, you know? And so to have someone like me, who was like very much a feeler, very much intuitive, it was essentially traumatic. And all of the things that basically were the trauma for me have led me to my greatest gifts, but I highly recommend people getting into the work. It was really, really powerful. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I think what was most powerful for me is, is the talking about the mother gap and what you wanted and what you actually got or what you needed and actually, actually got in your relationship with your mom. And, you know, I know for me, you know, growing up, I actually grew up with my dad. I ended up living with him while my brothers and sisters live with my mom. And we just had a very strange relationship as in like, I didn't even really go. Um, so we really didn't have a relationship. I would say from the time I was in about the fourth grade until, 18 ish. So it was, it was very strange. And if we did get together, there was probably going to be a fight. Right. And I remember growing up always feeling like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't lovable or I was the screw up or you, you get these messages about yourself and who you are. And, you know, looking back, you can have all of this like anger about what you wanted or even shame from what you wanted and you needed in a mother and what you got. And I was listening to this episode on, it was the To Be Magnetic podcast. And I think it was Alex L. She Mm -hmm. was talking about how when she decided to look at her mom as another woman 
and not her mom, everything changed. Mm-hmm. Isn't that just so powerful? That's, and in my journey, even in my, so my college years, I created what I didn't know, but I created a boundary and I completely just took all my energy back from my mom, created a boundary and was able to function from college to later in my life really, really well in our relationship. Cause I completely would just boundary up. And it was something I would say to people early on. I would just say, I act like my mom's a stranger. And that actually in a weird way helped me to approach her with respect and dignity and not have the old stories that I had in our relationship. So the approach of acting like she's a stranger or acting like she's a woman is helpful because I'm able to recontextualize like how I see her and just be like, okay, if I treated her like someone that I just met, I'd be kind, I'd be curious, I'd be inquisitive, I'd be supportive, I'd be all these things. But if I treat her like the mom that I have in my head or the idea of the the mom of what she should be, I'm going to treat her totally different. For you, I guess, were the boys with your mom and then you were with your dad? So, there, so there's one, my one brother and two sisters and they were all with mom. That was my choice. So when I was like, of like the stereotypical angry child of divorce. And so, yeah, it was good. And then here I am like married to a man with kids. Like let's dive into that one day. So I left and I moved in with my dad. I moved back into our family home because my mom had left and uh, I lived there alone until my sister ended up moving in a few years later. And then my brother eventually moved in. Um, but my youngest sister always stayed with my mom. Wow. You know, you think it's funny because you think about it now and you're like, yeah, that was crazy. But it's like we think about it in our brains now, but we don't think about it in our brains as like a young person. And like as a young person, we don't have the same, again, prefrontal cortex processing of what's going on where we're like, oh, my mom is just a woman and she's going through a lot and she's stressed. All of these things, she can't even hold her energy so she can't hold mine. We're like, oh my God, I am completely a reject. I am like not good enough. She doesn't see me, all of these things. So it's like always remembering that like our lens of when we're younger, especially when we're like a baby and a child is so different than now. So sometimes people will be like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't have one, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no matter what, you have some sort of wounding from that relationship because when you're young, you don't understand. You think everything is normal. So like, I thought it was normal to have chaos in the household. I thought it was normal to like, completely be in service to my mom and just be asking her questions all the time to get her attention because I didn't receive love otherwise. So it's just coming at it with compassion and grace and really peeling back the layers of how it has impacted your life. I think for your audience, a good way to think about it too, to start kind of lightly is think about your relationship with your body or your relationship with like your weight and your, how you feel in your body. I think the women of our mother's generation were just completely like the way that they talk about themselves and their body and their weight is horrifying, horrifying. And what I've heard and what I've seen has been deeply impactful for me. And I think now we're so, I'm so grateful that we're sort of moving into the space of like more body neutrality, et cetera. But I think all of us are sort of working with the wounding that we have even around that from our moms. Mm -hmm. And just like the little things that they said that you had no idea was impacting how you show up. Yes. And when you get like, look at yourself in the mirror, you're trying to even have a healthy relationship with your partner. It's like, (laughs) I found for me, all of my wounding showed up when Darren and I got together and all of a sudden I was a stepmom. Well, if you think about that, I was 26 when we got together, like thinking about that stage in your life. That's when we got together and I was trying to have this healthy relationship. I was trying to be the stepmom figure 
And all the things that I didn't think bothered me and I didn't think I had any wounding or trauma around, it was like, here you go. Like everything comes to the surface, which in a way is really interesting the way life does that, right? Like you're going to find yourself in situations where you're going to learn the lessons that you need to learn. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like when you get into the position of being the stepmom, you know, you realize also to your mother's programming an idea of what a stepmom is or a mom. And then you realize like societies, you're like, okay, society says moms do this. You're kind of like confronted with all of these ideals of what we have around being a mom, especially when you become a mom. But I found the confronting nature, like you said, when you found your husband, like with weddings too, you know, even in our, our wedding, it's like everything comes up, like your money relationship, body relationship, like relationship together, relationship to abundance, relationship to your friends. So it is crazy how life will sort of serve you up these like really challenging things with like the most beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your wedding because I think the way that you did your wedding it's changing conversations. And I think there's going to be like speaking about ripple effects. I think there's going to be ripple effects around that because you definitely went against the grain. Yeah. I'm always like that. I'm just like a little rebel, I'm like a little rebel at heart. I just, I've always been like, why are we doing this? Like, I'm just someone that looks at everything and I'm like, but why? So we're going to do a, we're going to invite people that we don't even really know to the wedding because our parents want us to. Okay. But why? We're going to, you know, every single thing with the wedding process, I just said, but why? And I thought about it, if it applied to us in our life and a lot of it didn't, you know, we wanted it to feel like we got time with people that we loved and we were able to feel celebrated and we were able to like, just like rejoice in being together for 10 years and getting married and taking the next step. And so what we did was basically we did in Mexico, which was really beautiful. We wanted it to be a way, um, we didn't invite a single person in our family besides our parents. We just had friends. It was basically like our chosen family and our parents. We said no to having anyone else come. And then we made it just super spiritual. We didn't want it to be religious at all. We didn't want it to have any religious affiliation. We had our friend do a prayer. We had one of my good friends to be the officiant. We had Lindsay, my podcast co-host, sing a song. And we had something on Friday evening too that was just like another like gratitude moment for everyone that came out to see us. And I wanted it to feel like us. I wanted it to feel intentional and I wanted it to feel like everything made sense. And it wasn't like, Oh, we're just doing the garter toss because that's what you're supposed to do. Or we're cutting the cake because that's what you're supposed to do. I think in life, we always need to look at all of these things that we're doing unconsciously and be like, does this work for me? And so my wedding was that, and it was beautiful. You know, I couldn't have been more grateful. It was really stressful for sure. I, I think I didn't think that I would, everyone's like, it's stressful. I'm like, oh, it's stressful for you. I'm like, whatever. And it was freaking stressful. So I'm happy it's over, but it was really powerful. Was it stressful because you had any backlash based on like the boundaries that you had set? Like were there reactions? No, <laughs> I'm just so me in boundaries that people don't say shit to me. So there was nothing, no question there because, and we also, you know, money wise paid for it. So that was that thing too. But I think that the hardest parts were like friends. And I just felt like so heartbroken when people didn't show up for me in the way that I felt like I would have showed up for them. And I felt just so hurt, you know, when I felt like people weren't coming because of certain things or whatever. And then also just like, you know, in your personal relationship, getting married, it's like, okay, we're going to, everything's going to come to the surface. 
are you guys ready for this next step? And so we had to go through our own like initiation as a couple and just really figure out like our priorities and what we wanted from life and continue to like work through things and come back together because his parents are happily married. They're amazing. And my parents separated and had like a really challenging marriage. So that was another sort of idea I had to work with of like wanting to be married because for so long I was like, I was like my younger me was like, Oh, I don't want to be married. I'm too cool. Like marriage is lame. And that was like my old me who was so hurt and who was so heartbroken that I had seen this marriage just fail. And so I had to work on my own issues around commitment and marriage and be like, no, that's, it's okay. Like this one's safe. And like, we're going to do it different and like trust myself. And you and Justin do therapy, right? So you guys are very like intentional about the type of relationship that you have. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about how that has been impactful for you guys? Because I think that's so important, right? Like you went in this with intention. And I think so often we just say yes, we just go get married, we go do the next thing. And we don't think about how our old stories and how, you know, how we have perceive the right way to do things is going to show up in that. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that I, the way that I see life is not always the same way that my husband sees life. And that's a beautiful thing. It's hard to say, but it's a beautiful thing. I remember when my parents separated, my mom was like, you know, I went into marriage with your father with the full intention of changing him. And I just was like, holy crap. She didn't realize she was saying it, but that is the most profound thing I've ever heard because so many people do that. We get married and we're like, oh, I don't like that they do this. I don't like that they do this. I don't like that they do that. And then we think that being married gives us the right to change them in some way. So I wanted to approach our relationship with like the full intention to let Justin be who he is and let me be who I am and just compromise when we needed to, but like fully accept ourselves as like the unique people instead of ever trying to change us because that doesn't ever work. People don't change because you want them to. They change because they want to. The way that we have worked is like we got married and then we started um, therapy after, which was been really beautiful and just helpful because when you're with someone that you like, it's just crazy because it's like you hear me on the podcast and I'm so processed and polished at times. I try to be, I'm well-spoken at times I try to be, but you know, when you're fighting with someone you love, it is like, who is this person? You know, you just become your eight-year-old self, your 12-year-old self, and you just completely lose it because- (laughs) What happens in our brain, we basically go to the base part of our brain and we just go into the reptilian brain and we react like our childhood self. So I found myself doing that and I was like, it's frustrating to me that I can't be in my highest expression in the relationship that I love the most. And I know that's normal, but I wanted to really work on that. I wanted to like work on being able to like bring my loving self to our fights, to our conversation and just be more of like my highest self when we argued and when we were together. And it's hard. It's not easy to go through this type of thing. It's funny because I don't know if you've ever had therapy where you start and you're like, I don't think I have anything to talk about. And then you leave and you're like, holy shit, I don't even know what just happened. You know, it's always that you're like, what are we doing here? And then you're like, oh my God. So it's been like that. It just kind of like reveals itself in layers. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. There's been times where I'm like, I think this is probably going to be my last session. Like, I'm not even really sure what we're going to talk about. And then you like, end up, you know, going into this whole other aspect of your childhood, or like, you know, something that has triggered you and like digging deep into it. And you're like, whoa, actually, I got a lot more work to do. <laughs> this is just like, never ending. Just- Because your mind, it's like your mind and your ego is like, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. And when you're like, I don't have anything to talk about. It's like the actual truth of what is 
for you comes out and it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love. I love therapy. It's been like, yeah, Darren and I are going to start. We are going to start going to therapy. He's like, okay, sure. You, do you think we need therapy? I'm like, I think that everyone needs therapy. He's like, okay, <laughs> I'm all for it. So yeah, that's like, I think for women, we're so conversational. We're so open. We're so like in touch with our feelings for men. It's a little bit harder. So I think there is a little bit of like, what is going to happen? Like what is going on? And so I think there's more resistance to it than for women. And women are like, tell me, tell me what's wrong with me. We're like, we know we're fucked up. Yeah. We're all a little crazy. I remember having a conversation with my dad once. And so actually after my parents divorce, he never like fully moved on to like a super long-term relationship would always have like a couple years, but it was never like a life partner. He, he said to me, he's like dating this girl and he's, he's like, we got in a fight. And I said, well, yeah. Cause he, he'd never like fought in his life before. He's like, we got in a life. He's like, she's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I was like, that means she's a woman. <laughs> like everyone has that happen. And you know, it's just, it's life. Yeah. And for that generation too, I noticed with my dad when, and my mom, when they're dating, it's like, they want a companion where I think our generation, we want like intimacy. We want this like deep, meaningful connection. And like, my dad will be like, yeah, I really like her. She plays tennis and she'll play pickleball. I'm like, okay, but like, what about her personality? Like, she's nice. You know, and like even your dad saying like, we got in a fight, she's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's like she actually stood up for herself or spoke her truth or, you know, like expressed herself. And it's like in that generation, they don't share how they feel so much. So they don't really know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, too. And I think that's why things like the mother wound and, you know, boundaries and all these conversations are coming up. Because they didn't have that. And, our, and I think our families really struggle with this evolution that we have in setting these boundaries in, you know, talking about our childhood trauma. And it's like you were saying about your mom, like, she was super offended. I have not actually talked to my mom about my mother wound episode, but I, I'm willing to bet that there were things that if she listened to it, that she was like, what? Or like, really, you know, felt yes. sick to her stomach about it or really offended. And, you know, but the end of the day, they were just doing what they knew how to do. What is what do they talk about in the book? She says like how, you know, they're just like wounded children walking around in adults' bodies. Like that's how so many adults function. Yeah, and I think the most powerful thing ever that I got from Bethany was about triangulation. She's like, I remember feeling really uncomfortable when I was in a situation with three women total. So it was like me and then two other women, whether if it was business or friendship or anything. If there was three of us, it felt really uncomfortable and I was like, "Oh my gosh." That is me. I've always said, I'm like, three doesn't work. Three doesn't work. If I'm in three, it doesn't work. I'm out. And she said, there's this triangulation thing that happens because when she was younger, her mother would show up with her mother. And then sometimes her inner child would come out and her inner child would be the unhealed inner child. So it almost be like she was with three people. There was three people there anyways, because it was Bethany, the actual child, the inner child of the mother and then the mother. So she's like, it felt like three people. I felt like I was always in a situation where it was unsafe because I didn't know if the unhealed inner child of my mom was going to come out and like react or do anything. And I found that to be so powerful because I think for a lot of women, we are find it uncomfortable to be in threes. It just feels unsafe. And I realized that there was so much of my childhood that was in even today of my mom having her unhealed inner child or her unhealed young girl come out. I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was happening and it felt incredibly unsafe because as a kid, you're like, where's my mom? But here we have this like unhealed 
young girl that like I'm as a young girl interacting with, it can be very disjointing and very scary. One of the things I found really helpful that you were saying when you were dealing with your mother wound is accepting that your mom's never going to change. Mm-hmm. And just grieving that process. Cause I do think there's a lot of shame around that, right? Like shame yes. around the relate, even on like social media now, like you see people in their relationships with their mom and like all of these like hearts and sparkles and like, I don't know what I would do yeah. without my mom or like they have that connection and you're like jealous and you're like, well, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I get that? And it's just, I find it very difficult, but then just not expecting any different. And that yeah. can be so hard. But when you get to that place, it's like, we're all just people. Yes. I know. I'm so glad you brought that up because there is so much shame. I felt like that so long. I was like, wow, all my friends had like their best friends with their moms and they go shopping and they tell them everything. And, you know, they had this special, unique, loving relationship. And I was like, oh my God, I felt so embarrassed that I didn't have that. And I felt so bad. I felt like dirty. I felt ashamed. I was like, who am I? Like, why am I such a bad person that I can't have that? And for a lot of my life in my high school, I was kind of like acting that out, like as if I was bad, as if I was like, just kind of the rebellious in a way, because I felt rejected a lot of times. And so I've had to really come to terms with like, who my mom is, like who I wanted her to be. I wanted her to be open and loving and caring and playful and present and all these things. And she wasn't. It's okay that she wasn't. I find that I'm better for it, but it still sucks. It's still like, oh man, this could have been way better. And I really wish we were different, but I really am glad that you brought that up because the shame part's really, really key. And like, you just have to accept it for what it is and not deny yourself the experience of knowing that you were neglected. I think that's another thing too, that I realized through like group therapy things that I would do is that I would deny myself the truth of what happened because I wanted to downplay my experience. So I'd be like, oh, it was fine. It was, who, you know, it was fine. I like was fed. I was clothed. And we really deny ourselves like the, the truth of feeling neglected, of feeling abandoned, of feeling unworthy, of feeling all these things. And that's actually a really, really important part of the process is to acknowledge and validate your inner child for the experience that they have instead of like downplaying it like we do most of the time. Mm-hmm, for sure. And there's no shame in that, right? I think that's that there's a lot of shame from society or we think there's shame from society in doing that. But the more people I talk to, the more people are like, yeah, like my childhood was actually really messed up. Like when I look back from an adult perspective or I really needed that and I didn't get it. And I think there's power in acknowledging that. And I'm glad that more people are finding that confidence to do so. Yeah. And I will say too, it's like, you know, so my experience was like the abandonment, neglect, et cetera. And yours was sort of similar, but there are experiences too, for a lot of women that had great, perfect relationships with their mom. And I'm doing quotes where they were projected upon, or they were competitive with their daughters, or they basically pushed them on a path that they didn't want to be on, or they were like putting too much emotional labor on their children. So there's like various ways that it manifests. And it's not like if you have a great relationship with your mom as a child, you may have not perceived it to be that way, or you may not realize that a lot of what they were doing was still uninhibitive of your growth. So there is just different ways that it manifests. So I just want to make sure that people, even if they had a perfect childhood with their mom or they love their mom so much, there's still wounding that probably happened that is impacting you today. It might not be as deep. It might not be as intense, but it really hits almost everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up for sure. Okay. So the last thing I want to dive into, um, and this is the first episode that I actually listened to you talk on is the life edit, because this is coming out at the end of the year. And 
you know, everyone loves a good regroup and, you know, call it resolutions, call it what can audit, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But I really think that your life edit is something that my community would love to hear about. So can you share a little bit about that? And I'm going to link the episode if people want to dive into it in more detail, but what was the life edit for you? And, you know, why do you, why do you do that at the end of every year? I'm so excited you're talking about this because I was thinking about this yesterday that I need to do another life edit. So life edit happened in 2019, December. I was going to stay in California for the holidays. Justin was away. So it was just me for two weeks and I was feeling so low and depressed. And I was like, you know what? I need to like make a change. So with that, I realized that like, there's a lot of different parts of my life that need tending to. And that really prompted me to do the life edit. And that was looking at my technology. So like that's deleting old texts, cleaning up my apps, cleaning up my social media, you know, archiving old photos, deleting everything from my desktop. It's really looking at like my digital world and cleaning it up and being like, is this the highest expression of me? Does this all feel like the new, true, clear version of me? Yes or no. And then going through that. And then it moves from digital to like basically all areas of your life from your actual home and your physical space to like your mental health and your wellness to your relationships to um, your food and nutrition, like your body and everything like that. So you just kind of look at everything that you're doing in a very conscious way and think about like, is this my highest expression? I think the house part of it in the life edits really fun too, because you go through and clean out everything in your pantry. You clean out clothes and donate old clothes. You get rid of furniture if you don't want it. You kind of just clear out and clean everything. And there's like a lot of spiritual principle behind it because I felt like when I created more space by releasing old patterning, old things, old energies, old emotions, old expressions, old things, I felt so much clearer and I felt like I could be so much brighter and bigger. We don't realize that like as energetic bodies and energetic beings, everything around us has energy. So if we have tons of old, dense things that like are causing us to feel just less than our highest expression, it affects us. I think about, you know, in our in our bedroom right now, there's these pictures on the wall that feel like they're in the wrong place and they feel like I don't really like them. It's very silly, but every time I walk into our bedroom, I'm like, I don't like those photos and they look off. So I have a thought every time that's like a negative thought almost where I feel unaligned to photos on my wall. We can also do this with clothes. I used to have clothes in my closet that were the same size I was in college that I felt like I could get back to at some point. Every time I was looking at that clothes, I felt like this like residue of like, oh man, I'm never going to be that size. I'm so ashamed. I'm not that size, blah, blah, blah. Our brain is always processing and computing tons of things all the time. So when we give ourselves the time and space to do a life edit of every single part of our life by clearing out, releasing, and allowing for new, we really can make such beautiful change and provide this like beautiful open space for a new life to unfold. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And when it came to your relationships, you talked about doing an edit on your relationships and diving into that. What was that like? So for me, that meant a Google document of putting in who are my top people in my life that I'm going to invest time in, that I will make sure to be checking on every other week or every week that have an unboundaried access to me. 
And unboundaried access to me means they can be messy with me. They can be unprocessed with me. They can tell me the truth. We can have difficult conversations easily, all these things. So that's Lindsay and Justin are basically my top that have unboundaried access to me. And then my second layer of friends, and then and then it goes below. And having this visual idea of like, this is how I'm spending my time. These are my priorities. These are the people that make me feel good. And then lower on the list is people that I can now in my mind see as colleagues, see as people that like aren't as close to me. And that helps me prioritize my time time and just really my love and energy into these relationships. And then also it really gives me like the green light to have hard conversations with people because I have even now people in my life that I have this sort of need for a conversation about something that we haven't talked about. So like that also has created so much psychic debris in my psyche when I have people I need to have hard conversations about, but I'm putting it off. And then in relationships, it's putting into practice like the new expressed version of you. So that's for me having hard conversations when I need to. That's being more clear about my expectations for our relationship, knowing how to prioritize my time. And for Justin and I, it meant like getting more strategic about how we're going to spend our time with like going on dates with like having hard conversations, with having deep connection time. So it's just like a full audit of your life. Like, do I feel good in this relationship? Yes or no? Okay, maybe they'll move down the list. Do I feel good in the intimacy of our relationship in my marriage? Yes, no, figure it out. What's your next step? So I think the conscious awareness piece is really important for the relationships and then feeling into like what feels good, who feels good, who can I lean into more because they make me feel good. I love that. I'm always like, if you feel uneasy or if you feel something's off, it's like, check yourself. Be like, am I being the type of, you know, friend I want to be? Am I being the type of entrepreneur I want to be? Employee, you know, mom, whatever, like go through the list and even just like type of person. Like if it's a no, that's where, you know, like you you need to like love on yourself there. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's all about loving yourself and allowing yourself to be that next version. Like all of these things, if we want to be the person that we talk about manifesting, that we talk about envisioning, what are the steps that we can take each day to actually get there instead of just like visualizing it and hoping that it happens. Mm -hmm. So good. You said on that episode, you said, it's not good. It's not bad. It's truth. Yes. Oh my God. That's a huge thing. It's huge. It's like when we look at even the scale, when we weigh ourselves, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just truth. That's why I actually weigh myself because my it's not the weight that's the problem. It's my relationship to the number. So we can think about that with our bank account, with our Instagram followers, with our scale, with so many things. It's like we create the stories and put the stories on them. And I think the life edit's great for that because a lot of stories will come up, but things just are. But when we look at them consciously, we can sort of peel back the stories behind it and create that better experience. So good. Thank you so much, Krista. This has been, I'm so glad that we got to do this and you were able to carve out some time. I'm going to link everything, all the links to your Instagram, Almost 30 Podcast. You guys are doing amazing things. You are changing conversations and I appreciate you guys so much. Amazing. Thanks so much for tuning in. You guys know the drill. If this resonated, share it with someone who you think will love it too. And if you haven't already, I would be forever grateful if you could head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you're craving more stepmom content, want to connect with me and stepmoms from all over the world and get access to exclusive content with all my favorite experts, be sure to check out the exclusive stepmom community, www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. Members also get access to my online magazine and can listen in on coaching calls with fellow stepmoms. 
www.jamiescrimshaw.com forward slash membership. Love you guys. We'll chat with you next week.